when Sarah and I take road trips together, she's the kind of person that is about the road trip. She loves to stop and take detours, and I'm the opposite. I just love to get there. Uh, every time we stop, I just, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is how many hours we have left to go. And uh, it's kind of a rough go for Sarah because uh, I can be kind of mean. Like, okay, let's hurry up. Let's get in the car. Let's go. Let's rush. Let's get to our destination. So all I'm thinking about is the destination. Uh, when we went to Houston last week uh, for Christmas and for her grandfather's funeral, her mother made us promise that we would get a hotel. And, and uh, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, that's just going to delay us even more if we get a hotel. And of course we did, and it was a good thing that we had stopped because we were tired, of course. But I always just want to get there. I'm taking us in a specific direction, and that is all I can focus on. And so our main point this morning is, as a local church, our destination is maturity in Christ. That is a local church, our destination is maturity in Christ. So to summarize a little bit of what Pastor Craig talked about last week, he was in the first six verses of Ephesians 4, and I'll read that real quick. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So as Craig preached last week, we should be unified because of the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. God has given us every tool that we need to maintain this unity. And he asks questions, right? How do I involve myself in my church? How do I involve myself in such a way that causes unity? And how do I distance myself from the things that cause division? And he talked about what it looks like to get involved in small groups or attend prayer meetings. And the main question was, what am I doing to build? Is my mentality a building mentality, or is it a teardown mentality? I don't think you can be in between. You're either adding to the building of the body of Christ, or you're taking away from it. So what is our mentality there? So that was kind of the breakdown of Craig's sermon last week, and this week we are in the next handful of verses. I'll just read that passage real quick. Verses 7 through 13, it says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, 
for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The first point I want to make here is found in verses 7 through 10, and that's that these grace gifts are given to each believer in order to maintain unity and become more mature in Christ. Kind of a long point. But it's that we would maintain unity and become more mature in Christ. Let's look there again at verse 7, where he says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The grace referred to here is the spiritual gifts that are given to all believers. All right, uh, it's in Romans twelve six and beyond. I'll go ahead and read that real quick. I won't spend a lot of time there, but if you flip back to Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And then he starts going into the list. If prophecy according to its proportion of his faith and it continues so on and so forth that these gifts are grace gifts from God that we are called to use to preserve unity the grace new testament commentary says this it says the grace referred to here is the spiritual gifts given to all believers so they can serve others every believer has at least one spiritual gift spiritual gifts are divine abilities given by God to believers so they can serve within the body of Christ. These spiritual gifts are often given, or sorry, are always given for the common good of the body of Christ and are to be used for service and the glory to God. And then verse 8, moving on here, he says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Jesus gives us these spiritual gifts in order for, for us to maintain our unity with one another. But I, I love what verse 8 says here, because it's actually a quotation, and we'll explain that. It says, but he led us away. Right? We are the ones who are captive to sin. And he gave us these gifts. And this verse that he's quoting, he's summarizing Psalm 68. Um, a lot of people think he's in Psalm 68, verse 18, I think it's just a more of a summary of the whole chapter. Regardless, he reverses the order of what is supposed to happen when kings win in wars. You see, when a king wins in a war, they're given gifts by men. That's what Psalm 68, 18 says, that you receive gifts from men. But Paul here reverses the order. It's that Jesus has led the captive and has brought us into his kingdom, into his fold and has given us these gifts. What kind of king does that? Matthew 20 verse 28 says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus hung on that cross and he said, it is finished. By you and I placing our faith in him, we 
immediately receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive eternal life in God's kingdom. We receive, uh, we're, we're called to be part of his local body, the church, where we have unity and we have each other and we have a community to help us in this Christian life. We have these spiritual gifts. We have this abundant life that we read in John 10 earlier. What kind of king does that? Right As you read through the Old Testament and through history, you, you read about kings who thought they were gods and they demanded worship from their subjects. And a lot of people in their kingdoms lived in poverty and didn't live this abundant life that Christ promises and their kings did not do much for them. But Jesus gave it all for us and still continues to give. That's the kind of God that we worship. That's incredible. So after he quotes Psalm 68 or summarizes Psalm 68, he moves in to verses 9 and 10, that Jesus is able to give generously to believers because he has conquered death and has ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. Let's read verse 9 and 10. It says, Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. There's a few different ways that you can interpret this verse. It's a little bit controversial. In fact, in my reading, I usually read four or five different commentaries before I preach a sermon and I think each commentator that I read said something different about these two verses. And so I'll explain a little bit of what is going on here, uh, that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. Right, there's a couple of things. Uh, first, you could explain that he just descended to the earth. The fact that he was on high, he was in heaven with God. John 1 is very clear that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, you could take that as his descending to earth. All right, and then another commentator says that it was his burial. He was in the grave. He was in the depths of the earth. Uh, he had died. That's another view you can look. Another view is that Jesus went to the gates of hell and defeated Satan right then and there. And then when he resurrected and ascended, uh, that's how he beat sin and death. Another part, another interpretation is that he went to this part of Sheol where Old Testament believers could have gone. And there's some verses that kind of support that. If you can read in there later, it's Second Peter, sorry, First Peter 3, 18 and 19. Uh, you also look at the thief on the cross. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so there's a lot of views you can take on this. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on what happened to Jesus when he was in the grave? Either one of those views works for me, but the point is, the point is that Jesus defeated sin and death. When he was in the grave, he defeated sin and death. And when he rose from the dead and ascended on high, that gave him all power and all authority so that he could generously give these gifts to you and I. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. I don't want to confuse anyone on the controversies around those verses. No matter what way you look at that, the result is the same. 
Jesus is now sitting at God's right hand. And in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he gives his disciples a command. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth, to the end of the age. His authority has no end, and he's able to give us each these spiritual gifts and these special abilities to use for growing and maturing. And the second point and the final point I want to make in verses 11 through 13 is that leaders are the second part of God's gift to the church. And he's given each individual believer spiritual gifts, but he's given each local body leaders to point it in the direction of maturity in Christ. Let's go into verse 11. It says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. So the apostles, let's explain some of these uh, some of these positions here. The, the apostles had to meet specific requirements such as seeing of the risen Christ. These men were gifts to the church and foundational to our faith, no doubt, but no longer exist today as these requirements can no longer be met. Prophets, likewise, in the New Testament, they didn't necessarily foretell the future, but would foretell the truth, the word of God, and they would reveal consequences if God's word wasn't followed. And I'm not going to argue that prophets exist or don't exist today some people would argue one way or the other but i would i would certainly argue that with the completion of god's word and with the access that we have to it in this culture we don't need a prophet to tell us the truth when we can pick up our bible and here it is but these men also were foundational to the church and then he goes on he goes on to evangelists which would be our modern day for our modern word for missionary right these people obviously still exist we have several missionaries that are carrying the gospel to unreached people groups and then this pastor and teacher they're the same person actually in this list of people that God gives to the church the pastors and teachers that means someone who's a shepherd someone who is guiding a local body in a specific direction and we see that direction revealed in verse 12 but Jesus in John 10 earlier that we read he said I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep I think pastors and elders they have a similar calling as we lead a local body it's a very sacrificial thing it's a very serious thing it's not a matter to be taken lightly I think that's part of why when we heard Pastor Craig had his stroke and he went to the hospital, I think that cut deep in our church and in our body because we understand that Pastor Craig is a gift to our church and he is leading us in a very specific direction. If you haven't noticed, his last handful of sermons, really the last couple of years, we've been preaching about serving. It's come from the pulpit dozens and dozens of times of 
what it looks like to be mature in Christ, and well, that looks like serving. So we get into verse 12 here. It says, this is what our pastors and teachers and what the prophets and apostles were for. It's, we're for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Our direction is that we would be equipped for service in the building up of the body of Christ, his church. I often hear from folks about our youth group that go to other churches or have been to other youth groups and they, I'm going to brag on myself a little bit, not a whole lot, but just a little. Uh, they always say how grateful they are that we open our Bibles at youth group, that we actually teach God's word at youth group. And I've never been to any of the other youth groups in our area, but I have heard just by and large in our country, youth groups are normally just fun and games with a really short lesson that uh, doesn't go anywhere, that it's very shallow or a very uh, basic gospel presentation, which is all fine and good sometimes. But if these youth are a part of the church, then it's my job as the youth pastor to equip the saints, even though they're young. Every Sunday night, we teach our youth group for an hour out of God's word, and they sit and they listen and they engage and they ask questions and they contribute to the conversations. And it's really fun to watch them absorb all of this information that's in God's word. Because our job as pastors is to equip the saints. And I know that's how our elder board feels. I know that's how Craig feels. It's certainly how I feel that we would be equipped for the service and the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 is the goal, right? We're getting equipped. Why? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature man in the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Using what you're gifted in to serve God and his church and each other causes you to know Jesus more. We often pray that God would make us more Christ-like, but then we hesitate when an opportunity to serve arises, which is interesting because we read earlier in Matthew 20, 28, when Jesus said that the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many, he actually told his disciples just two verses earlier in that same conversation there in Matthew 20 that whoever wished to become great in the kingdom must be a servant and a slave. That's what maturity in Christ looks like. As we get ready to conclude this morning, as a local church, our destination is maturity in Christ. The road to get there is through serving. Stay focused on that road. No detours. No stopping at the hotel. Get there. And it's not just serving in these church programs, right? We have Awana and we have youth group and we have Sunday school and children's church and all these opportunities within the church walls, sure, to serve. But just as important we serve each other? Are we reaching across the aisle? Are we reaching out? Are we checking in on each other to see what the needs are of our church body? And I think this church is very good at filling needs. I don't think that we struggle in this area a whole lot, 
and this has been displayed recently as Craig has been out. There have already been so many people who have reached out and filled in the gaps and are helping to serve and, and take care of their house and their uh, personal life while they're out. And our church leaders have stepped up and are filling in the gaps with the responsibilities that he has here. And that's awesome. And if that's you, if you have a heart for service, please continue in that. I think that's probably most of us sitting in here. Continue in that and let others see your maturity and the joy that God gives through serving. And if that's not you, all right, if you're, yeah, I wish I could get there, but I don't know, and I'm kind of nervous and hesitant, pray that God would give you a heart for service, longing to know him more. Because it's great that most of us in the room are okay with serving and even enjoy serving, but it takes all of us having this attitude and employing our gifts that God has given us to reach our destination as a church. It takes all of us. How are we going to get there?